We are, we're getting near to the end of this series, looking at the disciples. Um, we've, this has been about eight or nine different um, sermons so far in the series. We began looking at the disciples being called uh, and then the fact that they uh, followed Jesus and they uh, heard his teachings, they learned from him, they witnessed his miracles of healing, of casting out demons, of the calming of the storm. Uh, then they themselves were sent out and had their own experiences. We talked about uh, the fact that they heard hard and challenging messages, but also that they have hope. And if you've been paying attention, you will have perhaps noticed that we've been working through Matthew and we've gone through in a somewhat chronological way. We started at the start of Matthew and we worked our way through. And then suddenly we're jumping backwards because I preached a, probably, well, fairly early on on about the third um, sermon on this in the part that follows that is Jesus calming the storm and doing various miracles. And I ummed and ahed when I was putting this series together as to whether this part about the cost of discipleship should go near the start or should go near the end. And I kind of went, ah, Matthew's put it in quite early on, but then he's talking about the disciples and, and, and the decisions that were people were making. And I've opted to put it near the end because actually I want us to be reminded Although there's lots of great stuff, and we're really good, I think, or we have been traditionally, evangelical Christians have been good traditionally about going, this is the benefit of being a disciple. This is the benefit of following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you have eternal life and you have salvation. And we've historically said, come to the front and people come to the front or put their hand up and say, I'll make a commitment because that all sounds great. Or we've Perhaps it's not quite as fashionable now said, these are the terrible things that will come if you're not saved. Uh, there's hell and there's eternal damnation and there's burning and there's suffering. So if you, if you don't want that, then you should follow Jesus and there's goodness. And, and sometimes we skip over the bit that says that there's a cost. Because actually it's, we don't want to know about the cost. We want to about, want about know about the nice bits. We want to know about the bits that give us peace and fill us with joy, where we get to praise and sing hallelujah. The bit that when we're perhaps going through a rough patch, that we know that Jesus is with us by his spirit and that brings comfort. We want those bits. Those bits are the great bits. Those bits are the nice bits. But it's important to remember that there is a cost to following Jesus. Now, if you ever do any Bible study yourself or if you've ever uh, sat through uh, a series uh, of sermons before, what, what can happen is we skip over the bits that are a bit more challenging. It's one of the things that we've been talking about at college. We're told if you preach from the Bible and you preach what the scripture says, be careful not to just do the bits that you like. Or to put a series together if you're not going to follow everything. Because Matthew's got quite a lot in it. It would be a very long series if I did all of Matthew. We went into the detail that Matthew's got there and for us to understand it. 
And so we've taken part of Matthew's Gospel, hopefully giving us a sense of uh, the time that the disciples spent with Jesus that Matthew conveys. And it's easy to skip over certain passages. And this is one that would be tempting to skip over because actually there's bits in it we go, I don't like that. I don't understand it. What on earth was Jesus saying when he says to one of the disciples, the disciple says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And you think, what? Surely Jesus is compassionate and he'd want us to do a good funeral and we do the arrangements and we make sure things are done properly and, and, and it's caring and it's going to be part of my role as a pastor that I will conduct funerals and there's a, a strong pastoral element that is part of that. I know that that is part of what I am called to do as a minister. So what on earth is Jesus talking about here when he's saying, no, let them get on with it themselves? Well, it's a good question. But let's take the first one. The first bit is the setting of this scene is um, that Jesus has been doing various miracles. They've been travelling from town to town and the crowd's been building and everyone's following them and it's probably um, got a bit manic. There's just busyness and noise and it's got quite exciting and people are bringing all sorts of people to Jesus and saying, look, come and heal my friend with leprosy, come and uh, heal this person, cast out this demon. And the crowds have been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Jesus begins by saying, actually, with all this crowd, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, that's kind of the opposite of what I think, uh, at least the preachers uh, that uh, I know of tend to do. If there's a crowd, we get excited because people want to hear the gospel. And we want to go, there's people that want to hear the gospel. We should stay and we should share it with them. And there's an important lesson where Jesus actually <coughs> says, no, I need to sh I've shared what I need to share with them. I've done some healings. They've seen what I need to show them from this time. But actually, me and my disciples, we need a bit of quietness. We need, we need some time out to recuperate, to relax. And so the first lesson in this is actually saying, yes, all those other things are good. Being busy and doing things for Jesus is good. And there will be a cost to doing those things because you either choose to serve in some way or rather than doing something else that you might rather be doing. But it's also important to get some space, to take some time out. That in the midst of all the business to go, actually, it doesn't all revolve around me. It's important to go away, to, to quiet down, to make you step back from a role and realise that actually the world does not revolve around me. Usually Baptist Church does not revolve around me. I have the tremendous privilege and blessing of being able to minister with you. But usually Baptist Church was here a long time before I was and will be long after I'm gone, hopefully. It doesn't revolve around me. Things happen. I went away for a week and I've come back and it's still here. It's the same for each of us. But then... 
This teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, I will follow wherever you go. Now the interesting part about this is that it's not a disciple at this point that's saying that. It's a teacher of the law. Now usually the teachers of the law, if you read through Matthew uh, and the other Gospels, they're kind of opposing Jesus and they're saying... Uh, we're going to ask Jesus this difficult question and we'll try and catch him out. And if we do this, then aha, we've caught him out and people will stop following and they'll follow us instead again. And we'll have things back to the way they should be. We'll get order in place. So the interesting part is there's a teacher of the law quite early on saying, I will follow you, Jesus. Wherever you go, I will follow. And there's some debate as to whether what he means here um, is... I will go and follow you for the rest of my life wherever you go. Or, well, if you're going to go across the lake, then so will I. Um, And then maybe after that, I'll see where things are at. And rather than responding and saying, oh, that's great. Come on, then. Join in. Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head And it's interesting when you stop and think about that. Jesus didn't own a home. He didn't have a house that he said, this is mine. His family members did. And we we read about different family members. So he was able to stay with them and they would have put him up and he'd have stayed with them. At other times he stayed at friends' homes. When he sends out the disciples, he sends out the twelve and he says... When you go to a place, stay there until if someone, if someone welcomes you in, then stay with them and, and bless them and be part of their life. And if they don't, well, just kick the dust off your feet and move on and don't worry about it. He, there was an expectation and a trust and a faith that Jesus had that he would be provided for. That a bed to sleep in when he needed one would be available. I wonder at times how... Many of us have that same trust and that faith. I know there's times where I've gone, well, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything for God. But. And there's always a but. Because I think, well, but I've got family to look after. I, but I need to make sure that I'm looked after. Because if I'm looked after, if I'm well looked after, if I care for myself, then I can care for other people. So, so, so long as I've got what I need, then then I can do the things I need to do for other people and the things I need to do for God. So I'll I'll just look after myself a little bit first. For other people's benefit, obviously. But I need to do me first. And actually, that's not what Jesus says or does. Jesus says, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about looking after yourself. Think about... Other people. Now, when I was first looking into ministry and thinking maybe I'm supposed to be a, a pastor, a minister, something, I've, I've mostly spent my life in Baptist churches, but I've also worshipped in other churches. I used to work for an Anglican church. Um, I spent some time with a United Methodist Church. Uh, I volunteered for a little while at another Methodist church. I've worked for Christian charities that have been non-denominational or multi-denominational or interdenominational or whatever. And so the first question I had when I felt God was saying, actually, I 
think you're going to pastor a church, was, okay, which denomination? And I kind of ummed and ahed and looked at things. And one of the things that someone said to me, which just made me laugh, really, was, well, you know, there's a good pension with the Baptist Union. There's not a good pension with the Baptist Union. If you know anything about the Baptist Union, there's a bit of a pension crisis going on, as there has been with various places. But at that time, they said, there's a good pension scheme with the Baptist Union. And I thought, and this was a pastor saying it to me, I thought, that's not why I feel called into ministry. The last thing I'm thinking about, if I'm worrying about ministry, is what the pension scheme is like. Because if I'm worrying about the pension scheme, well... I might as well go and do a job that earns a lot more money. And I once had an interview, I once had an interview for a job that this was my first ever job out of university, would have paid me just as a starting salary three times what I get now, plus a car, plus they paid off my student loans, and they'd have given me a little bit of money to help me move and settle into wherever I was living. It was just a ridiculous, exhausting, I can't even say the word. Yeah, I'm not even going to try. That's the one. There we go. Somebody whose English is a second language can say the word and I can't get it out. Exorbitant. That's the one, isn't it? It was just... And there's part of me that goes, oh, wow, there's a bit of my life. If only I'd done that, wouldn't life be easier? Wouldn't life be better if I had... If I'd got that and then did this, well, because then we'd have, we'd have got a house and we'd have the mortgage paid off and, and we'd have got and we'd have got and we'd have got and we'd have... God, and it would have all been about stuff and making sure that I was okay and that we're okay and once we're sorted out then we can do with other people but of course the truth is we're never going to be okay we're never going to have enough because as soon as you get whatever it is I remember with my first ever job I worked for McDonald's actually that was my second job but when I got my paycheck for working in McDonald's I bought a Playstation and I, it was great. I'd wanted a PlayStation. I got this job. I got a PlayStation. But after a little while, I realised that I had a bit more money now because I'd got a job. And I wanted more than a PlayStation. The PlayStation wasn't good enough. I wanted the next thing. And, and then after I got the next thing, I, I wanted the bigger thing and the faster thing and the whatever it was. The cost following Jesus in one sense is saying actually all of that doesn't matter all of that doesn't I'm not going to have that security of property as it were but the kind of the payback if you like is that your security is found in Jesus and nothing else matters so whether you're in the situation with the, the people I mentioned earlier living in Detroit that had nothing, that had lost it all. Or whether you're in the house in Florida that was, belong, it was a mansion. Actually, the thing with both is the importance of the relationship with Christ and having our security in Christ. We don't know whether that teacher of the law went across and followed Jesus or not. It doesn't tell us. 
Jesus just gives him this random response about foxes having holes. And it doesn't say, and the teacher of the law still followed or walked away. We don't know. And then we have another disciple. This time it says, a disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now there is some debate as to whether the word dead in there is whether it's let the dead bury their own dead or whether it's let the waverers bury the waverers. Um, I don't think it makes a huge amount of difference. It's those who don't have a faith, um, let them bury those that don't have a faith. But what Jesus is really saying here, you see, the situation wasn't about going, right, do something pastoral and caring and sensitive or not. What would happen is... The law and the way that the law had been interpreted was that you had to bury somebody within 24 hours, within a day. It probably wasn't even 24 hours, actually. It would have been in the day cycle according to their calendar. So it had to be done within a day. And what would happen is that would trump all the other laws. So other things that you were supposed to do just in your normal everyday life as a Jew, if you were living a good Jewish life, you did various things. And if you didn't do them... (gasps) Whoa, that was terrible and you were dirty and you were unclean. However, burying the dead was something that kind of trumped all of those things. And it said, no, this is, this is more important than the acts of worship that we would normally be expected to be involved in. And so what Jesus is saying here isn't don't have funerals for people, don't be involved in burying your family and caring for people in a sensitive way, what Jesus is saying is actually, above all of those things, we need to continue to follow him. In the midst of those hardest times, we need to follow him. When something comes up that we think is more important than anything else, that we think, oh, do you know what? Normally normally I have my quiet time... Uh, 8 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock at night or whatever you do. Normally I do that. Oh, but there's this thing that's happening and I, I've got to not do it today because of that. Jesus is saying, like the words of the song, I give you everything. My life, my all, my everything. And so the first thing should be, actually, I want to spend time with Jesus. Yes, something's come up. And we're not as rigid and legalistic as perhaps we once were. But rather than saying, do you know what, I can't have my quiet time at that time, therefore I won't have one. It's about saying, how can I make sure I still have this first? And then do the things, the other things afterwards. How do I put God first? There's uh, an analogy. um, And uh, if I had been more organised, I would have prepared it. But it's, you may have seen it. You take a jar and you can fill it up with all sorts of stuff. Fill a container with all sorts of stuff. And then you get a golf ball or something and you try and put it in. And it won't fit because it's already full of all the little bits and pieces. But if you empty the jar out and you put the golf ball in first and then pour all the other little things in, 
it fits and it all fits in perfectly and it comes to the top and doesn't overflow. You go, wow, how does that work? And it's a bit like that with our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, with our life. Because what we are to do is to put God in first. And when God is in first, everything else fits in around it. Whereas if we try to do all those other things first, God gets squeezed out. The cost that Jesus talks about is about putting him first. The cost of being a disciple is about putting Jesus first. Putting Jesus over and above everything else. Our actions, our finances, our relationships, our social lives, our church, the way that we prefer to do things, all of those things fit in second. The cost of being a disciple is about putting Jesus right in at the centre, saying everything else, whatever I might hope for, that comes second. Of course, the reason we end up doing it is not because we go, oh, what a pain. Oh, got to do this because Jesus told me to. Oh. We do it. We do it out of love. Because he first loved us and we love him. I do stuff now that I would never have dreamt of doing. For Jesus, but also for my family. We spent a lot of time over the last week when we were away pretending to be princesses. Arthur dressed up, occasionally made us dress up a little bit. I wore a little tiara. We danced to the songs from the film Frozen. That's not what I would choose to do. That's not what I want to do. If you'd asked me what could you do on your... You're going to have some time off. I'd have been somewhere warm. There'd have been a nice coffee. There was nice coffee, so that bit did happen. I'd have maybe got a chance to read a paper, because it's something I like to do. He would have been pretty relaxed with doing very little, but instead, and there were moments of some of those things, but instead, because I love my son, because I love my family, and I want to spend time with them, we danced and we dressed up in things that I wouldn't choose to wear, and I'm glad you haven't seen photos. You can bring them, that's fine, I don't mind. I didn't do it because Arthur went, Dad, do this. Hmm. Arthur wanted me to be part of his life and something about his life means that at the moment he likes singing Let It Go and dressing up with a tiara on and putting earrings on and stuff. There's another part of his life that means he likes playing with diggers. (laughs) That's going to change over time. And I 
do those things because I love him. The cost of following Jesus, the doing the things that we go, oh, really, you want me to do this? Isn't or shouldn't be a hardship because it should come from a place of love where we say, Jesus, because I love you, of course I'll follow you, wherever that may be. Of course I'll give up whatever hope or dream I may once have had. Of course I will lay down my life for others and ultimately for you. The cost is actually, when we stop and think about it, very little. Because what we get back, what we get back from being a follower of Jesus, being one of his disciples, is so much more. Because we get to have a relationship with him. And through him, we come to the Father. the creator of heaven and earth. And what an awesome privilege that is.